Uh, welcome to Portico Church. My name is Jason Connor, a lead pastor here. Uh, this is what we call Portico Unplugged. We still plug some things in, but the idea, as Pastor Johnny Reeb said, is um, this is a family experience. Uh, you know what? There's going to be kids in here that aren't ready to be in church, and that's going to be kind of too bad for us because we want to teach them what it means to worship. We have a compressed service. It's shorter. We end with a baptism so they can ha- see some hands-on things. But remember, one of our goals as adults is to teach and to model and to mentor and to prepare the next generation to know and love Jesus. So that's part of what we do today. So thank you for that, parents uh, and everyone. Uh, and Unplugged, uh, we're going to do something different. We always do uh, what we call encounters with Jesus. Uh, so we're just going to look at a text today in Mark chapter 9, where Jesus is actually 14 through 29 in Mark chapter 9, where people are encountering Jesus and what happens there. It's always fascinating. So we'll do that. So you can put your thumb there in your Bible, Mark chapter 9, uh, verses 14 through 29. As well, we're preparing for that. Um, As I was reading this text, which is about faith, by the way. We use that term a lot. You should have faith in God, faith in Jesus. But I just honestly wonder sometimes if we know what that means. And as I was reading through the text, it made me actually um, think about marriage counseling. And my wife, Christy, and I have done quite a bit of that over the years, and we like it. Uh, But this is one of the things that we always tell new couples as they begin marriage counseling. We're going to say, we're going to tell you how attraction works, because attraction is powerful, right? So the first thing that usually you're attracted to, you're you're engaged about, is something that they're similar to you, right? You're like, hey, I like that person because... Um, I don't know, they like my football team, or they comb their hair the way I do, or I don't know, they dress like I, there's something similar, they went to the same college I did. So you have some sort of an initial attraction to this. Now the next thing you'll notice is that you're attracted to this person because they're different. So maybe you're super messy, and your spouse or your engaged is like a neat freak. Maybe you can't do math, and they're like an engineer. Or maybe you're just really funny, and they're just not. I don't know. But you're like, hey, this is good. We kind of go together. And what we, we tell them this for this reason, um, because it's pretty easy to understand why you're attracted to somebody. We say, guess what? There's going to be things that you learn about your spouse that you can't stand. Like, what are you talking about? There's things that you'll learn, that you'll uh, learn about your spouse that you don't like. And they're not fun, right? They're not similar to you. They're not complimentary, like, hey, we go together, um, like salt and pepper. No, they're just like, I don't like this about you. And you're going to find that out usually as, you know, you get married and start living together and like all the blinders come off. And so we're kind of helping them. And the reason we tell them this is because what we've learned is relationships grow when you're willing to exercise trust in someone by working through conflict. That's where your relationships always grow, how you work through conflict. Um, And there's a reason for that. Uh, This text kind of opened it up for me. Why does your relationship grow in conflict? Well, because in committed, humble, loving conflict, what you're doing is you're letting the relationship bear the weight of your trust in that person. It's got to be committed, right? It's, that's why marriage is a covenant. We're not backing out of this. It's got to be humble, meaning this. I don't primarily see you or my spouse as the problem. I see me as the problem. Nobody ever approaches conflict that way. Uh, and it's loving, right? I'm willing to, um, to make what's right, to make right what I've made wrong. I'm willing to, to forgive and to ask for forgiveness. When we do this, the relationship starts to transform. It always happens in conflict. But it's really difficult. So we're trying to prep them for that. Um, it's almost like 
ice fishing. My, my in-laws live in Wisconsin, and they like to ice fish up there. I love to fish. I've never tried it. I don't want to try it because I absolutely refuse to drive a vehicle on ice. I just can't do it. I hate cold water. So I am not willing to trust the ice. I'm never going to put myself out there. Um, that's what trust is. Trust is what you're willing to do, willing to go out on the ice. Now, think about your relationship with God. When the Bible says faith, you might as well just draw a line through it and put trust. Because to us, faith means hope, usually an empty hope. That's not what scripture means. When you see the word faith, it means trust. Are you willing to put yourself in the hands of God completely? So think about trust. Think about your relationship with God. Is your faith bearing up the weight of what you say you believe? Because we say we believe a lot of things. I believe Jesus died for my sin. Great. Why are you hiding your sin then? If Jesus outed it on the cross. Why do you work so hard to hide it? Um, I believe that God truly loves me. Then why are you working to earn his approval? Right? So is, is your faith bearing up the weight of what you say you believe? Because faith only grows when that happens. So here's when you're going to find that. When circumstances are confusing disastrous, when you lack clarity, when you lack certainty, are you moving towards God at that point or not? Because faith will grow. That's where it's going to grow. That's where your relationship with God goes up the field when you let your faith bear the weight of your beliefs. So Jesus is going to talk to us today a little bit about faith. Um, it's going to be in Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. So let me just read this to you. I, um, I don't Nope, it's in the bulletin. I didn't look at it. But it's in the Bible, so we've got that going for us. Mark 9, chapter, chapter 9, verses 14. And this is, just, this is right after the transfiguration, when Jesus was up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John, and Moses and Elijah show up, and God the Father speaks. So they're coming down the mountain. Here we go. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him immediately, it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire, into water, to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us. Help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, and I'm telling you to memorize this verse, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he's dead. 
But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house with his disciples, asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for it is living, it is active, it is life, it is treasure. We open it today in the trust that you will use it by the power of your spirit to transform us, that we might worship you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. Faith grows when you let it bear up the weight of what you believe. This father had a decision to make. So let's just walk through this narrative. The coming down from the mountain. Transfiguration happens. Jesus is on his way into Jerusalem. Peter, James, and John are with him. He, the eternal glory of God the Son is revealed to Peter and to James and to John. And here's Jesus speaking with Elijah, one of the greatest prophets ever, and Moses, the keeper of the law. And if you read Luke's account, what they're doing is they're preparing him for his departure or for his crucifixion. They're ministering to Jesus. It's a bit of a spiritual high. So they come down from them. And this is disorienting, right? Peter, James, and John do not know what to do. And Peter talks too much. But Jesus is encouraged by this. So they're coming down from the mountain. And they transition back into this scene of chaos. Back into this world controlled by evil. So what's happening here? We've got three main people. The crowds, the religious leaders, and this father. Well, not even the father. The disciples, first of all. And none of them understand Jesus. None of them understand Jesus. And then you have this father who shows up. And he is an absolute despair. He has brought his son to Jesus, didn't find him. So he asks his disciples to cast this demon out, and he is hopeless. And if you also read Luke's account, you'll find out this is his only child, and this child is essentially on the edge of death. And the disciples attempt an exorcism, and it doesn't go well. This father is absolutely powerless. Here's the conflict. The scribes are there. They are trained religious leaders. And they are in heated debate with the disciples. Probably because of this. Because they had a process for exorcism. Like you're doing it wrong. You don't do it in the name of Jesus. Who's Jesus? And so there's this argument going on between them. Accusation, confusion, chaos. And the disciples are getting this point. We're powerless too. And then Jesus rolls up. Verse 16 says, he asked them, what are you arguing with them? The father speaks up. Teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And he explains that the spirit is basically trying to kill him. So I asked them to cast it out. And he says, they were not able. They do not have the power over evil. They can't even do what the scribes can do. And Jesus says, oh, faithless generation, how much longer do I have to do this? Here's what's weird about that. What did the father say? They were not able. I would expect Jesus to say, you weaklings. I gave you the gift and you couldn't exercise it. You're not strong. Get strong. Do it right next time. He didn't say that at all. He says, oh, speaking of his disciples, oh, faithless generation. Oh, faithless generation. This is the key to what Jesus wants us to learn. Let me, and just before we go any longer, let me ask you this question. Um, 
Are you more prone to be ashamed of your weakness or your lack of ability or your lack of faith? What causes you more shame and frustration? It's almost always your lack of strength and your lack of ability, your lack of your, uh, your lack to do what you want to do. It's almost never our lack of faith. But Jesus is saying, you faithless generation. So Jesus shows up, then he listens. I love this. Jesus asks the father, hey, how long has this been happening to him? Do not miss this. This is God the son. Asking this man who's brought his child, who's in distress, hey, what's going on here? He draws the heart of this man out. And the man says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us. And then Jesus speaks. If, if all things are possible for the one who believes. I think we get that. But the response of the man is key. He says, I believe. Help me. Help my unbelief. That is the safest thing you'll ever see in scripture. Remember, faith is always about a relationship. You and God. And this man brings his doubt and his fear to God the Son. Now, in this entire narrative, Jesus is waiting for someone. He's waiting for something to actually show up and confess helplessness and embrace humility and trust him. And it happens not with anybody but the father, not the disciples, not the scribes, not the crowds. This desperate father, when he shows up and says, hey, I believe, help my unbelief, boom. That unleashes God's power right then and there. Do not miss that. It's the helpless one who is desperate, who is willing to come to Jesus in his fear, in his doubt, and with the faith that they had where Jesus moves. He's letting this circumstance, he's letting Jesus bear up the weight of the faith that he has in him. And then Jesus heals. What does he do? He rebukes the demon. This is key. God the Son is on the ground. The kingdom is established. Evil is getting cast out. He rebukes the demon. He lifts up the boy. Don't miss the fact that God the beloved Son is healing this man's little helpless son. Don't miss that. And then he rebukes his disciples. Not harshly, though. At the end of this narrative, it says they're asking him, and they're in private now, right? You're not going to ask this out in public. Hey, how come we couldn't do it? That's a good question because in Mark chapter 3, Jesus had given his disciples the authority or the gifting to go out and cast out demons. This was an issue, right? And they're, they're out there. They're establishing the kingdom. There's a, the king is on the ground. This is not okay anymore. And they're casting out demons. So it's, it was a good question. They weren't being prideful necessarily in the question. But you see their heart. And Jesus says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. The implication of that, they were operating in their giftings in a prayerless way. They learned. So let's talk just briefly. Three things that we can learn from this. Three ways that your faith grows. This is so important. So if faith is going to grow when you let up, bear up the weight of your beliefs, how does that work? Three ways that we can pull from this text, and they're good ways. First is this. Your faith grows in commitment. Always. It's not just what you've committed to mentally. That's assent. It's not just what you believe in your heart. That can be Nothing more than emotion sometimes. It's what you will actually commit to. We want our faith to grow. It's going to happen in commitment. Think about Yelp for a minute. 
As far as I'm concerned, it's ruined going out to dinner. Why is that? Because now, especially if I'm not in my town, I have to look through 14 different entries on restaurants, and I have to read through half of them, and half the times the three and four stars are better than the five stars. So you waste all this time evaluating. Here's how you're going to know if this restaurant is good. Walking in the door, sitting down, and ordering dinner. That's called commitment. Then you will know if it's good or not. Put your phone down. Yes, Yelp is helpful, but it kind of ruins things. Your faith only grows when you're willing to commit. Um, Augustine, an old-time theologian, said this, I believe that I might understand. Man, we are in the age of information. We want conviction and information and certainty before we will even put our toe in the water. It never works that way with anything that you have conviction about. You never get the whole story. You must commit. Uh, when you commit and you believe, then you will get to understand. Once you walk into the front door and sit down at the table and have some appetizers and order something and engage and commit in the experience, then you're going to understand whether this restaurant is worthy of your desire or not. See, we will say this, I believe, but let me try this first. Yes, I believe in you, Jesus. You know that I do, but I'm just, I gotta, I gotta work over here for a little bit. I, I gotta, i got to be God here. We have a difficult saying, time saying, I believe. Would you help my unbelief? But here's what you need to know. Faith isn't a feeling. And it's certainly not a feeling of certainty. And it's not the total absence of doubts and fears. This is holding many of you back. Let me quote Tim Keller on this. When he's speaking about this, He says, faith is committing to and obeying Jesus despite your doubts and fears. And you can hang back in the shadows forever. You're never going to know enough. You you have to engage your relationship to learn something about this person. You're not going to learn about Jesus just watching, being the crowds. Okay? So your faith grows in commitment. There's two ditches here. Two ditches to watch out for as you think about what you're committed to and how your faith could grow. Um, There's this ditch. Well, God's not answering my prayer because I don't have enough faith, right? Just name it and claim it. If you have enough faith, God will have to give you what you want. That's, you don't see that here. You don't see that anywhere in scripture. And so if you believe that, then you get very disoriented and disillusioned when God doesn't give you everything you want. Yes, God wants you to trust him, but it's not about controlling God. So there's that. Or there's the other side of the coin. My faith isn't good enough, so God's not going to listen to me. My faith hasn't been perfected. Man, someday I'm going to pray like that, but I can't do that today. You're never going to pray like that. You're going to do it today or you're not going to do it. God doesn't listen to you based on the condition of your faith, but the position of your heart. If you will come to him helpless, willing to submit willing to trust him, he's going to move. It may not be what you want, but that's where the trust comes in, doesn't it? Don't shrink back. Instead, commit by taking your fears and your doubts, all of it, to him and trusting him. Remember, it's a relationship. You don't grow in a relationship unless you're together. 
unless you're revealing yourself and you're talking. So faith grows in commitment. Secondly, what can we learn about faith? Faith grows in weakness. This is a big one. Um, And remember, in this entire narrative, Jesus is waiting for someone who will admit their helplessness, not just admit it, but confess it and embrace humility. I cannot do this and trust him in real time, not just in the shadows. Now think about the disciples for the minute. They had an actual relationship with Jesus. This is encouraging because they ran with him for like three years and still didn't get it. Um, But he had given them a great gift to cast out demons. That's a great practical gift in this day and age, right? What was going on here? Um, They were doing it. And when they tried to do it and it didn't work, and we find out they weren't even praying, they were depending on their giftedness and what God had given them and how they'd been equipped. They were not relying on God in this giftedness. Um, that, that's never going to go well. Many times the things that we do, we begin to imagine they're because of me, even if God's doing it through me. So this did not go well for them because they were not trusting in God. So there's two ways you will engage this. Many of you are type A people. This is Northern Virginia, DC region, and you despise your weakness. You've been discipled by this culture to despise your own weakness. And so you are choosing to rest in your strength. And you'll say, yes, I believe, and God, I'll let you know when I need you. Thank you. You've given me everything I need. I can do this. And you crash and burn. So that's despising your own weakness. There's another one that you celebrate it. Like, yes, I'm going to celebrate my own weakness. That doesn't work either, because what you're going to do is you're simply just going to refuse to obey God, because you'll say this, I believe, but this is just too hard. I can't do it. I believe, but I cannot walk the road that God's laid before me, and I refuse to do it. Again, you're you're focusing on your own strength or your lack of it, but rather you should confess in helplessness, embrace humility, trust Jesus. Why? Because your faith is going to grow when you see him work in your life. You know how marriage grows? You grow when you work things out together. It doesn't grow when you're not together. Any relationship is like that. Faith is all about having a relationship with God. So if you are not willing to trust him and watch the Lord work, it ain't going to grow, right? And this requires prayer. This is the last way your faith grows. So if faith grows in commitment, it's nowhere else going to grow. Um, it, it, what was the second one? Help me out. It grows in weakness, right? Okay. Unplugged. And faith grows in prayer. If you understand this, it's going to lead you to prayer. It's going to lead you to prayer. Um, they ask him, why couldn't we do this? He didn't even rebuke him. He just said, you didn't pray. And this, this is beyond you, friend. Even in your gifting. You need to trust God for this. So if you're prayerless, I'm just going to throw this at you. You're walking in self-sufficiency and blindness and unbelief. But I'm not gifted at prayer. Okay. You're, you're walking in self-sufficiency and blindness and unbelief. There's no way out of this. If you say that, if you believe you should have a relationship with God, but there's no communication loop through scripture and prayer, it's not a good relationship. It's not a good relationship. Push into that. Um, helplessness and humility always drive you to God. They always do. Um, Look at this man, this father, right face to face with Jesus. Can you do something? Help me. I believe. Help my unbelief. And you know how you see this usually? Your willingness to wait on the Lord. 
Psalm 27, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land and the living. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Well, how long are you willing to wait? Because the psalmist goes on, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Don't quit. Don't let, don't let your heart fail. Take courage and wait for the Lord. Waiting is, is the, the partner of prayer. This is why God, Jesus, the beloved son, didn't stay in the mountain. He walks back into the chaos. He deals with it. He teaches them. He heals. He honors this prayer of this father. He heals the son, but he doesn't stop. He works his way back into Jerusalem. And he is overcome by evil, by succumbing to it, that you will never be overcome by evil. Here's what you need to see here as it pertains to Jesus' power. I hope you saw the evil here. When you see evil in the world and you see evil in your own life, which is called unbelief and your unwillingness to trust Jesus, there is no other conclusion that you can make than I can't do this on my own. I don't need just God's help. I need a savior. I need someone that can step in. I need a relationship so safe that I can come to God and say, I, I think I believe. I, I, I don't even know if I believe enough, but I'm going to hold on. Like, t- let's go. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust you for everything. Is there, do you have any relationship in your life that's that safe? Most marriages aren't. It's hard. When I break my wife's trust, it's hard for her to trust me. These these are hard things. Jesus is never going to break your trust, ever. That is safety. That is what God is calling you to. Um, And they saw that their own sin. They needed a Savior. They needed Jesus in this way. This is where the cross comes in. He goes into Jerusalem. He's overcome by evil. He gives himself up, not just for this father and this boy, but for anyone who is bold enough to ask him, will you help me? I believe, help my unbelief. That is the, that is the prayer of faith, friends. I don't know if you believe that you had to have a certain level of faith before you can approach God. I don't know if you believe that you needed absolute certainty before you can approach God. You're never going to get that until you approach him. See, faith will grow when you let it, when you start letting it bear the weight of what you say that you believe. You need to do that. You need to do that. You need to commit. Right? You, you need to walk this out together. Do not be afraid of your weakness. It's the only place you're going to meet Jesus. The only place. And open your mouth. Approach him. So as we close this, can I just ask you a few questions? Is your faith in God, is it actually bearing up the weight of what you say you believe? Are you willing to walk in faith and in trust, especially when you, it costs you greatly to wait on the Lord? You know, I don't know. Well, ask yourself this question. Where have you exhausted all your strength and all your options? Where is that place? in your life? And maybe where are you afraid there's just no hope for healing for you? This is where you need to meet Jesus. This is where you will meet him. This is where you need to exercise faith today, in this moment, 
friend, in this moment. This is where you need to say, I I believe, help my unbelief. And maybe you don't know Jesus. This is open to you right now. But it's a death and a resurrection, as you're going to see today in baptism. You don't wade into the water. It's all. I believe, help. He can handle your unbelief. Isn't that good? I can't even handle my own unbelief. He can handle yours. Give it to him. I believe, help my unbelief. Say that with me. Isn't that so good? Let's say it. I believe, help my unbelief. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Um, This reminds me of why you're perfect, Jesus, because I'm not. I'm never going to finish the race. I'm always going to be overcome by evil, both internally and externally. I'm never going to trust you right. Thank you that I am saved through faith. We are saved through faith in your works, through your faithfulness, not ours. Help us to understand what that means in a greater way and to trust you. In the name of Jesus, amen.